I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by tennis fans. My name's Joe Gerling. I'm Kim McKenzie. And today on Passing Shot Meets, we're in conversation with Olivia Cappuccini, director of the wonderful documentary Andy Murray Resurfacing. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. And welcome to this special edition of Passing Shot Meets, where we are joined by director Olivia Cappuccini, who is going to be giving us her account of how she made Andy Murray resurfacing the Amazon Prime documentary. Olivia, thank you for coming on to the show. You know, I think it's safe to say me and Kim are really excited for this episode to get some real insight from you. But of course, first of all, how are you? How how is lockdown treating you? Thank you very much for having me on, guys. Um, yes, I'm I'm fine. I'm really excited to be socialising with you both right now. Um, lockdown has been, you know, I've been very lucky, so I can't really complain. Everyone I know has been very safe. Um, I think it's safe to say that the lack of socialising and also the lack of being able to work is wearing on me slightly, but um, understandably, we've all got to be a bit patient. But um, no, I'm so excited to be chatting to you guys. This is actually my first podcast, so I'm sort of losing my podcast virginity to you all. <laughs> we, we are glad to be of service in that in that respect then. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for joining us. It's really appreciated. And yeah, it's, it's helping me and Joel um, kind of, you know, get on with things as well and stop going kind of crazy at home. So um, let's let's begin the documentary, um, which we both enjoyed immensely, as I'm sure did pretty much all our listeners. Um, how how did it come about? Like, with regards to the conception of it, whose idea was it to initially document Andy's pathway through, you know, all his hip operations and, and the recovery process? Yeah, sure. So, Actually, um, it was Andy's idea, um, but I think he would be the first person to say that had he known the film would end up how it did, he probably wouldn't have agreed to it in the first place, but that's the luxury of hindsight. Um, so he, Andy got injured in sort of the summer of 2017, which is sort of the intro to our film as anyone who's watched it would have seen um and I guess as this hip injury you know sort of um progressed and you know the pain sort of didn't really dissipate and he knew that he was going to have to undergo some serious surgery sort of end of 2017 beginning of 2018 he thought it would be really interesting for his fans to see you know, what it's like for, you know, a top athlete to undergo surgery and try and make it back to where he was. And, you know, he was number one in the world at the time. So for him to go 
from you know a surgery table back to trying to compete for the number one spot in the world was you know almost an impossible task and I think in his mind as well he thought that having someone document it would help sort of motivate him not that he he really needed it because as you you know as you would have seen he's incredibly determined but I think it just helped to give him purpose and meaning to what he was going through um and yeah that's that's kind of that's that's how it came about so Andy and his wife Kim you know sat down with me I I know the family um I knew I know them very well and obviously have a history in filmmaking namely sort of social and political stories so doing taking on something like this was completely different but also you know there's no denying that I could see it was an amazing opportunity for me as a young filmmaker so when they asked I you know I sort of jumped on the opportunity to document what we thought would be just a sort of six month journey for him and in terms of kind of your role in the documentary you know was it a very kind of hands-on process what were you kind of getting up to as the role were you the you know the person on the you know, the other side of the screen when we're kind of seeing the footage uh, on tv yeah so so I'm I'm an independent filmmaker I have my own production company um but the requirements of me making this film would be that it would it would just be me. Um, so I did film and sound record um, everything. But I believe that I mean I'm I'm amazed that you, I mean you can tell if you really look deeply. I mean it's not glossy at all. It's very rough around the edges, um, and I think everything would be a lot more glossy if you had a bigger team, but it was of utmost importance to and utmost importance to Andy and his team to keep this, you know, as discreet as possible. And if you have a team following you around the tour and, you know, potentially in changing rooms and going into hospital appointments, then you will draw a lot of attention to yourself, which he didn't want. So um yeah, I was I was able to to take you know my small camera and recording equipment almost everywhere with me and pretty much be undetected for the most part. So it's almost kind of a fly on the wall in all of these kind of different situations almost as a, a one bam bang getting all the different perspectives and, and piecing them together. Yes a very um, persistent annoying fly that doesn't leave you alone for two years <laughs> yes that's me. I think that's the beauty of, of a documentary like this though you know it needs that personal element and I think you know as a viewer I could really appreciate that. I mean obviously you said you, you know Andy um, already before this process but what was it like actually working with him was it although you, you know you know him was it difficult to kind of get him to open up and, and share so much because you know we see him at a lot of really low moments in his in his career and it's he's you know, he gets very personal um and opens up to the camera but it can't have been easy to to get him to do that if it's not something that is you know natural to you perhaps so was that quite a struggle for you i i mean it's a it's an amazing question i'd say i i actually didn't I didn't really have to get him to do anything. I mean, what I did was just turn up every day. And I think given, you know, this was Andy's idea initially and watching how dedicated he was to his rehab and sort of fight to get back to the sport that he loves, I equally became as dedicated to documenting that for him. And I didn't want to miss a beat because 
you know, in that world at that time, anything could have changed from day to day. You know, he could have had a breakthrough. Um, and if I missed it, that would be, you know, sacrifice like to the detriment of the film and his story and his journey and everything that he was allowing me to view and access. So I think in being there every day, I became part of the team. I became, you know, that, you know, Andy, his team and their goals became my goals because I was so invested in it. And I just, I happened to be there. And I think in a position that was involved and, understood enough about the environment and the emotional journey that all of these people were going on, but then removed enough for Andy to be able to have a direct conversation with me without fear of, I don't know, judgment. I mean, not that his team judged him, but as in it was, it's just, a, you know, it's like when you open up to your family versus a stranger like it, it, it just affects you differently to know that you're you're saying something to someone that's slightly removed rather than 100% emotionally attached. And I was, but he didn't know that because I was, my job was to document what was going on. I don't think I, that made very much sense, but I was, I, I, I think, I think I was, I was just there. And at times I felt guilty because I could see that he was really exposing himself. Um, but I knew that if I didn't capture it and have the opportunity to show it, then we might regret something. And there was always an opportunity for me to go back and say, is this okay for us to use? If it's not, that's absolutely fine. We'll find another way. Um, you know, it wasn't like as I was filming it, it was live. There was, a, you know, you could you could manipulate it to whatever extent Andy wanted um, in the end. Yeah, I think, you know, that I can't imagine how that, that process of you remaining kind of emotionally hidden, I suppose, while you're getting what you need for, you know, the purposes of the documentary. I think, I I don't know, I'm trying to place myself in your shoes. I can imagine that was very difficult. But I think what I really, you know, Andy opening up and, you know, showing his vulnerability, like we don't see that very often in, you know, society people are so scared to open up and I think that's for me was such a refreshing thing from the documentary that he obviously felt comfortable enough to do that and for us to see that side of him and I think that's endeared a lot of people to him so I think the fact that you managed to capture that and show that is is for me you know one of the greatest things about it so um you know thank you for that but uh I yeah that was something that I was interested in you know how emotionally involved you got but obviously yeah you did have to at the end of the day you know do your job as well so um in terms of you know telling the story as well you know obviously there's a lot of ups and downs a lot of different perspectives you know on court and off court from lots of different angles so did you have um, a particular thought process about how you wanted to piece all the different parts of the story together? I mean, it's pretty much chronological, but how did you manage to like merge and fuse all the different kind of strands together? Another great question. So, you know, initially when I was filming what we thought would be, you know, a rehab from a surgery and then his you know Andy's progression back um in order for for me to make it more interesting and with the hope of engaging non-tennis fans in his world and what he was going through I I wanted to include 
a lot about his personality, how he's viewed publicly and privately, um, you know, more broadly about the tennis tour in general and the toll that it takes. I wanted to go into more technical aspects of the sport and how he was being affected because it was just this whole world. And I wasn't a tennis fan when I started, you know, documenting this. So there was this whole world that no one could really understand. And then Andy's story within it. And I wanted to contextualize that because I thought that, okay, yeah, documenting Andy over six months and how he rehabs, you know, is interesting for his avid fans. But in order to engage other people, you need to broaden it out. But I guess as the story and his journey um, continued and he was hitting these these sort of bumps in the road and just getting knocked back time and time again, I realized that I had to sort of throw everything out the window and just be patient. I mean, genuinely, we had no idea when the story was going to end. And there are a lot of people that are actually quite disappointed with, you know, the final moment that it ends because they would, a lot of his fans would love to have included, for me to have included his win at Antwerp. Um, But, you know, for me, and then the team I ended up working with in terms of the edit and the post-production, we, you know, 18 18 months down the road, it looked like Andy was finally going to be able to get the comeback that he deserved. But because of everything that he went through and all of these revelations that he had, to just end on a comeback didn't personally feel like it sufficed to tell his story and his journey because it should have been enough that he went through everything he went through and was able to even play again so initially I had all of these elaborate plans about you know what what the story was going to be and what I wanted to incorporate but when you make a documentary and it's the beauty of documentary to get thrown these curveballs and have the luxury of time as well as budget to go with it, which we did. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. Yeah, I think what's so compelling about the documentary is that it you, you do get that sense of kind of go with the flow. And there are so many sort of moments that it zigs one way and then it completely like zags the other. And when you were kind of starting out, what was kind of like the, the end goal? Was it, uh, you know, Wimbledon or what was the end point when you were kind of first starting out on it? Yeah, no, that's no, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. It was, it was meant to be a comeback documentary of him going back to Wimbledon, which was his home turf, you know, the, the place that he, he'd learned to love most, obviously where he's been most successful. Um, and, you know, he didn't even get to play it that year. And, and that was that was a decision he made because in his mind, if he if he did play that year and didn't play at the level that he normally goes out and, play, and plays in front of the audience, you know, his audience that, that adore him, then it that to him might have been his last tournament because it's it's always been where he's wanted to retire. So it was it ended up being a really good thing that he didn't play because it meant that he wanted to continue and try and try again um, to get back to to playing at the level that that he knew how to or knew he was capable of playing. And I'm just going to ask this now. I had to save this for later in the chat, but is there a possibility that you might want to like film a follow up with Andy in the future? Like whenever tennis restarts again and, you know, his his comeback, um, for want of a better word, is 
restarted is there scope for, for kind of carrying on doing another project with him or is it kind of a play it by ear scenario has he expressed any interest in doing a follow-up um no um he, he hasn't um, i think i probably i probably scared him away from that because it was it was a really intense process um enjoyable but really intense um but also for me, I i mean, it's not to say that there isn't a story to be told. There definitely is. But for me, what I was able to capture and what we were, to, what we were able to produce from it was so special that I think it would almost tarnish the story to try and go again and, and capture the next phase. And I think that the goal was to you know, show his most beloved fans what it's really like um, for for him when he gets injured, you know, how dedicated he is, how much he loves the sport. It was also, and this was more of a goal for me, to show people who were always sort of on the fence about him, didn't really know whether they liked him or didn't like him, to get a better understanding of, of who he is and what he represents and how deeply he feels about certain things draw them in and and make them fans and and I feel like we've done that so I feel like my job is done and I don't want to ruin it so I'll just leave it there just understandable <laughs> and when you kind of look back on that those 18 months is there kind of a, any like a favorite moment you have from filming or for, you know from the documentary that you really enjoyed and it kind of really made you realize like this is why I love doing documentaries Yes, and it's probably it's from it might be the moment that people that probably don't see, but I remember it so vividly. There's a scene in the film where it's Andy is sitting in his hotel chair, and he's kind of he's almost got he might as well have his back to me. He's sort of like shrouding himself, um, and it's just before he's about to go and announce that he thinks he might have to retire at the um, Australian Open. He's not sure that he can continue playing because he's in that much pain. Um, And he's sitting in a hotel room and the light was really beautiful. And it was actually, it was just me and him. And it was rare actually that I had that many opportunities where it was just me and him in a room because his, his team are there all the time. You know, they're incredibly dedicated Um, and they come as a pack. So it was really novel to capture Andy in that moment at his most humane because he was, you know, when you get so nervous about anything, I mean, all of us have experienced at one point in our life where you're so uncertain, you're so nervous and you almost just want to laugh. And, you know, you see him sort of just change his mind a million times and he's not really making much sense. And he, you know, he wants, he wants you to tell him exactly what he should do. And obviously you can't do that. And I just thought that was a really beautiful moment. Yeah. And I think the, the Australian Open was a funny one because, you know, if it felt like to, you know, the tennis media and to tennis fans that, you know, this, this was it. Um, you know, this was the time that you know, Andy Murray was going to retire. They had that big Andy, Andy Murray, like retirement video kind of play out, you know, in the, um, you know, post-match. You that. <laughs> yeah, post- yeah. Like, did you, did you ever get the feeling kind of on the ground? Like, did you feel like that was it? No. And this was a running, this was a running joke 
I noticed also you didn't you didn't put that that footage in, which I thought was kind of an interesting like piece of the puzzle because as I said, that was a moment where I think a lot of fans kind of thought, yeah, this was it because you know a lot of players were kind of playing tribute and the big three will go on, but Andy Murray was you know he was almost kind of done there. But he but he was, and I completely understand why people thought that. But but he didn't. If you watch the full press release back, it's sort of. He sort of says he thinks he can't continue. And, you know, at that point, he really couldn't. I mean, he could barely walk without pain. But then there was this opportunity to have this surgery, this resurfacing surgery, that um, no one's be able to come back and play singles tennis from. But then but the thing is, is personally, and knowing what Andy was like, that no one else knew at the time, and you don't know until you've seen the film, that if anyone that knows Andy, like if there's a small chance, he'll make it happen. So in my mind, he was sitting there and I think he believed for all of probably one night that that was it for him until he started to do more research and understand, you know, the physical capabilities um, coming back from the resurfacing surgery and he was going to do it. Um, that... Yeah, that it. Well, I don't. I don't think he. I don't think he believed it was a possibility until he knew more about it. And then, but I think the tournament just sort of went off on one and wanted to honour him just in case it happened to be, you know, his his last tournament. But the reason we didn't show it is because because we knew that it wasn't. We just knew it wasn't the end. And so, um, and also it was. It was just. It was too, it, yeah, it was too. It was really cringe, wasn't it? It was so cringe. Sorry, I didn't want to say it. It was so oh. cringe. It was so cringe and it was so awkward and um, blessed. Like everyone says really lovely things, but yeah, we just couldn't. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's an it's an honest portrayal of the kind of conflicting emotions that he he must have been feeling, you know, not knowing what to do. And I, I can't even imagine what that was like. And I think, you know, one of the things I like about the documentary is, is like, as you're saying, you wanted it to appeal to not just tennis fans or sports fans, but people, you know, in the wider general public. Um, and I'm sure all of our lives, you know, some more than others, they've had, you know, crippling decisions that they've had to make and life-changing things happen and I think that's one of the really like relatable things is you can kind of like really feel what Andy's kind of going through this like torment and yeah it's almost like then we get an encore you know after after the actual surgery it's um we get this this new phase and his his the start of his comeback and and playing the doubles and I just think you know it's fascinating um you know the way that's that's documented i mean just in terms of kind of you know he then had the resurfacing operation um was at the end of january i believe how did you actually manage to get access to go into the operating theater because that was me really, <laughs> i had to look away you know some of the like graphic scenes i mean were you sort of looking and like watching and thinking oh oh my god like i mean what was that like how did you manage that it's my favorite thing to watch other people watch the film and squint when <laughs> and when Andy's what you know when Andy's sitting in his kitchen and he's watching the resurfacing. Oh, the tutorial, yeah, like that tutorial. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah the, the, and people squint and turn away at that, and then obviously I know what's about to come, <laughs> and, and they're they're shying away from that. But um, 
No, do you know what? Actually, it was, you know, it was probably one of the easiest things to get access into that um, into that surgery and into that hospital theatre. I think and I was amazed because I thought, God, you've got to have balls as a surgeon to literally let someone come in and document you, um, you know, performing open surgery on Britain's most successful athlete. Um, but but this woman is just in in terms of intellect and capability. I mean, I mean, you as you've seen, you I mean, you barely see it in the film. I wish she could have played a greater role, but. She really was something else and her confidence um, just meant that she had absolutely no qualms with me coming in. I think she saw it as an opportunity as well because there are lots of people that don't know that you can have this type of surgery and have the capability to run again. I mean, she she spoke about having operated on um, triathletes and um uh, you know all sorts of other athletes that have uh, have successfully made it back maybe not to the same level because everyone's different and everyone heals differently but i just think that that's that's quite remarkable so yeah they were they were all up for me coming in i did have to leave for a minute once um because <laughs> i got a bit i got a bit hot-headed but um yeah for the most part it was fine i think having having the job to film made me remove myself from what was actually in front of me. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I think oh, I quite like about the documentary is that you you have all the the science sort of approach, you know, in in the film covered, but also you have the approach which I, I didn't really know about, which was the you know the stuff in America when he was doing all these weird and wonderful exercises and, and routines in you know in the middle of nowhere or wherever it was and um you know i think what's kind of also interesting is that you were able to kind of capture all the different sorts of ways that a, you know a, a player might come back from from an injury and there's it doesn't feel like there's one answer you know surgery could be an answer but that's not to say it's it's the only answer and i think you know, do, the documentary does well in terms of encapsulating the fact that there's i guess lots of different things to think about Yes, I I'd, I know I'd, I'd completely agree. And I think but I think that that's what that's worked both for and against Andy and his team. I mean, there's a lot of obviously I mean, there's a lot of medical professionals that would watch that and completely disagree with almost every decision Andy and his team made. And there are some like yourselves that have had their eyes opened to the possibilities that there are out there and I think you know it's all very well for Andy to to locate you know the top rehab specialists in the world given the position that he's in but I think the hope was as well that people you know with any injury would just consider alternate methods of rehabbing and to some extent they all kind of worked in some ways and then not in others um and I don't think you can rule anything out, uh, especially if you have the determination um, that that Andy does. And I hope that that's what people take away. And I think, uh, like from your kind of point of view, over the kind of the eighteen months, did you feel that over the course of that duration, there was perhaps you know at the beginning it was like surgery is the only way this is going to get fixed, and then as you said, the longer it went on, the more sort of broad horizons and thinking about kind of alternative means i have to say it was 
it completely messed with my head. Um, and I don't understand. I mean, I have to take my hat off to Andy and his team for having to make impossible decisions because every, every specialist that he went to see, um, you know, they tell you something different and, and their way is the only way and it's going to be the most successful way. And you can't blame these specialists in their fields. I mean, they're highly intellectual people. Um, but no one could really understand exactly what the problem was. Um, and they were all very convincing in their arguments. And I, I genuinely believe that they thought that they would be the you know the person to, to turn it all around but unfortunately there was a lot that didn't didn't work um but there was nothing that Andy wasn't prepared to try um but I I do think that that takes an emotional toll um I, I mean I have no idea how how Andy got through it personally observing it from the outside I I wanted to at times just say, please just, just give up like life's too short, but obviously you can't say that. And thank God I didn't um, because look where he is now. I suppose it's a bit ironic that in a way we have this, this lockdown now. I mean, it's like he's achieved so much over the last couple of years and, and come through and, got to that point where you know he was winning a, a singles tournament again and then you know we now have this you know obviously he got further complications um was out but do you think this locked lockdown and this kind of long stretch of time before tennis restarts I mean are you able to give us any insights into whether you think this will be a good thing or, or a bad thing for Andy I mean is this giving him the time to maybe like mentally recover from the last few years? If, if it took such a toll, is this actually kind of going to be a nice break for him? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I can't speak on his behalf um, because he ha- obviously hasn't been able to practice. I think he, he literally had his first practice like last week. Um, and he'll, I guess he'll probably just be easing himself back into it. But I believe that, this is potentially a really good thing for him because there's so much pressure on, I mean, you guys know what the tour is like. It's intense. I mean, they say that they have an off season, but they, I mean, that lasts like a couple of weeks. I've never known a sport like it. Um, And I think for Andy, there was a lot of pressure that he put on himself as well, you know, after Antwerp to, you know, get back and it would be business as, as normal. But you know, he wasn't even when he won that tournament, he wasn't even a year into his rehab from surgery. So and they say that it can take, you know, over a year for all of the muscle and tissue to heal. Um, but the tour doesn't wait. So I completely understand why he did what he did. And, you know, he, he had an amazing success. But I'm, I'm just, I really just think it's a, it's a wonderful thing that he's had this this chance to to relax and give his hip even more time to recover. Um, and as you say, men- like mentally as well, just take a bit of a time out so that when everyone starts back, it's almost like a clean slate. And he's, I feel like he might have a real shot. 
certainly and when you kind of when the the documentary was released and you know in the subsequent sort of months how do you think kind of the the film has changed the the public's perception of of Andy you know people who've kind of watched this documentary you've said you know this isn't just for kind of tennis fans it was kind of for the broader broader community broader kind of watchers how do you think it's kind of changed the perception of Andy Murray I think I mean I, I can only go on what I've read on Twitter, so I don't really know uh, what you want to make of that. But um, everything's been remarkably positive, um, which I'm extremely grateful for. I have to say, um, personally, I was slightly disappointed with some of the reviews, but I do understand why this was the case. A lot of the journalists seem to focus in on what he revealed about himself, you know, everything that he endured, he and his brother and family endured when they were children. And, you know, they're the darkest parts of the, and most gripping parts of the film. So I understand why that was the hook for everyone and and written about most. But as you guys know, there's so much more to the story. Um, And I'm not sure that everyone would be able to see that from reading a review. But I think, you know, word has spread on its own, which is what you want from an independent film. You want people to to speak um, and and share the word and and recommend it amongst, you know, your peers rather than just what a review says. So I think it does I think it's done the trick. Sadly I don't actually know the numbers. The the only thing I I did know was that it was one of the most watched um documentaries in the UK on Amazon before Christmas so that's amazing um and I hope that you know given people have been forced to stay indoors that this is kind of boosted you know how much it's been in you know been watched now yeah but you know it's been I, I actually can't complain yeah it's been it's been amazing I yeah I don't really know how how Andy feels I it's it's a weird one because he you know, people say, like, what's he really like? He's He was enduring something throughout that whole time, so I can't really say that that was, that was actually 100% him. What you saw was him dealing with a very difficult time in his life. Um, and I, get, I guess you do get a glimpse of it towards the end of the film, which is a lovely moment, and I think you can really see in some of the footage the transition um, after the resurfacing, you know, to show to show him, you know, as he normally is with his team and his family and, you know, without pain. Um, and that's, that's what he's really like. And he's got a brilliant sense of humor. And I think that's what everyone sort of really said that they, they didn't understand how funny he was and, you know, they didn't understand how brave he was as well in being able to be that vulnerable and show what, what he did. And in, in terms of kind of the like the final cut, did he have a kind of a final say in, in kind of what was um, you know put out there? Did you end up with a kind of a lot of material that was kind of left over that you couldn't use? Or was the story that t- was told, did you feel like it got across what you wanted it to get across? Yes. I mean, so there was there was a lot of rushes that were unused, but mainly they were actually quite boring rehab routines as I said before you know I was there, I was there every day and also just a lot of 
chit chat between the team I mean you know what it's like with a bunch of guys um which is funny and entertaining but but not for a feature documentary um so so yeah there was a lot of material that was left out but at, but you know everything made it in and actually it's it was a lot longer than I think a normal feature documentary as a, potentially a lot of people think it should have been 20 minutes shorter but I, there was a, there was no there was absolutely nothing that I could have taken out because it wouldn't have done his story justice, I don't mm. think. No, sure. I think there shouldn't really be a hard and fast rule when it comes to this sort of, um, you know, documentation. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the filmmaker, but um, I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I think I would watch something that was five hours long if it was, you know, necessary and, and relevant and, and told the story well. I mean, the film also features interviews from a lot of, you know, other tennis players, including, you know, Nadal, Djokovic, um, Federer. Like, was that quite easy managing to to get them to come on board? Like, did you have to swear, swear them to secrecy at all that you were kind of doing this project? Um, like, how how was that getting hold of hold of them? Oh, so I'm actually so like I wish I could say that you know my greatest challenge was was getting them to commit, and I you know, managed to charm them into sitting down with me. It was absolutely not. I had barely any part to play in it. Um, <laughs> luckily, luckily, because obviously they do so much media and get so many requests. But I think Andy actually has quite a good relationship with with all of them and, and all of the agents um, all know each other very well and like to support each other. So so that getting them to commit to it was easy. The really tough part was being handed a 15 minute timer to ask them everything I needed to. I mean, how long have we been speaking now? We've been speaking for for 40 minutes. And I, you know, where I hope that actually there's tons of other questions that you might want to ask. And we're getting into a really nice rhythm of going back and forth and really getting into the weeds of the film, which is lovely. Like imagine doing 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 this in 15 minutes and plus the introductions plus you know I I was absolutely petrified as well when I went went in so it was like almost I needed five minutes for me to ease into it yeah to warm up <laughs> oh yeah. well you did a very um, good job with it <laughs> yeah the, it's, editing is does a lot I'm telling you <laughs> and I guess one of the the other core components of of the documentary is kind of the what I quite like were the, the little I think I'm assuming they were like WhatsApp voice notes or you know the Andy of course Andy kind of filmed himself doing almost kind of a little like diary you know were they your suggestions or what whose kind of idea was it to kind of come up with those sorts of moments um in the you know in the film so the Oh, yeah, all of the video diaries and the voice notes, yeah, you're exactly right. They were actually just done over WhatsApp, which is mad. I mean, I, I, I send loads of WhatsApp voice notes to Kim all the time. It's a, <laughs> it's a, classic, uh, it's a classic thing to do. Yeah, it is. Um, but the fact that they hold up in a film blows my mind and I think is rev- probably rev- revolutionised a lot of like documentary storytelling. But the benefit of doing that is um, because I couldn't be there a hundred percent of the time. And also, you know, there are moments where you want Andy to have this sort of internal dialogue, which I hope comes across, like particularly the video diaries. Imagine that they are traditionally what you might write in a journal and the voice notes would be, sort of the stream of consciousness that's going on in your head and 
um, they just evolved naturally when I couldn't be there and I needed to sort of keep tabs on, how, you know, what he was going through emotionally. But luckily he was really up for it because I think there would be a lot of people that wouldn't set aside that time to document that what they were feeling um, in that way. But as I said, like he was, you know, really committed to the whole process and wanted it to be as good as it could be. I mean, he's a perfectionist, so that applies to everything. And <laughs> I understand, <laughs> I understand, Olivia, that you, you've got a production house, production company called Scenes of Reason. Um, obviously, doing mm-hmm. doing the Andy documentary must have taken a big chunk out of whatever project you had maybe got lined up before that. Um, could you tell us perhaps about anything that you're currently working on or anything that you would like to work on? I, may, I know you mentioned that you tend to do a lot more like social, political documentaries. So is that the route you're kind of going down now? Or is there perhaps another avenue for doing something associated with sports again, perhaps? Any other, you know, sporting stories you'd like to tell? Um, I'd say so... There are so many stories I want to tell. And actually, when we released the film, I um, I had like a list of people that I wanted to reach out to because this has been this has been a really good thing for me to showcase as a legitimate sort of filmmaker. So I knew that I could use this as sort of a portfolio to show the type of story that I can tell, which could be applied to any sort of industry. Um, yeah passion projects and mainly along the social and political lines but in doing this I realized that the human element of almost any story and particularly in sport because there's there's so much that goes into it and people people buy into sporting stories in such a beautiful way and love to go on a journey with athletes that's really lovely um I'd say that I would probably like to avoid any tennis related documentaries just because I don't want to pigeonhole myself and I feel like nothing will ever compare to the experience that I had with Andy so I I don't want to sort of tarnish that experience but I would love to do other sporting stories but and then there's I mean I can't sorry I can't talk about any prospective ones and also there's there's times that I'm not even sure um will even you know make make it as films given this whole coronavirus experience but um you know sports that haven't actually got that much airtime um so there was a story about a young female wrestler that I really wanted to tell actually she I don't think she you know wanted her story to be told but something along those lines I'd, I'd love to tell a story about a female athlete um and I've got a huge interest kind of completely off topic about you know everything that happens in journalism and what goes on behind the scenes and those aspects I've been trying to reach out to a couple of journalists who I think would be really interesting to document um but yeah sadly everything's sort of been put on hold um so I will have to keep you up to date on my (laughs) but I do have a documentary that I would love to recommend um which no one really knows about and it's my favorite documentary of all time it's called the Tillman story and actually my producer John Batsett that worked ended up working with me on this film and um, produced that film as well and I think it might even just be on YouTube or well, it's on one of the platforms but just google it the Tillman story and if um if anyone's interested if I could tell that type of story 
in another way, that would be amazing. What's the, um, just briefly, what, what's the like subject matter of that, of that documentary? So Pat Tillman was an American um, football player that retired himself um, after the Twin Towers got hit in 9-11 and um, drafted himself into the American army and something traumatic happens when he is serving his time with the US Army and um, it basically means there's a whole lot of controversy that his family then has to deal with and it's incredibly political and it's sort of, it's it's anti the system and um, it's very rebellious and um, I, I mean, I think a lot of people don't know very much about it because it's um, it would be considered quite anti-army in America which potentially a lot of people would want to bury but it's an unbelievable story and the characters are fantastic so if you have a chance please watch it mm, that, def- that definitely sounds right up my street so uh, yeah I'll definitely yeah. check that out <laughs> and uh, just kind of wrapping up uh, this episode of Passing Shot Meets Olivia if um, people want to if our listeners want to kind of follow you and keep up to date with, with what you're doing do you have any kind of social media accounts you uh, recommend them following? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I don't post all that much, but I, because it scares me, but, um, I, whenever I feel like really confident, then, then I do. Um, so it's either, I think it's live underscore cap on Twitter and cappuccini live on Instagram. Um, you can find me really easily or follow scenes of reason accounts. Cool. Uh, we'll make sure to put those links as well in our, in the description. Um, but I think for now, uh, Olivia, thanks for coming on to the show. It's been really interesting, some really interesting insight into the, you know, the Andy Murray documentary. Of course, listeners, if you've not seen it already, uh, make sure you do. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, Andy Murray resurfacing. It's a really good, really good watch. Um, as I said, Olivia, thanks so much for, for coming on the show and kind of sharing sharing your story about how you kind of brought it together. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute joy. <laughs> no worries. And uh, yes, listeners, uh, yeah, hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of Passing Shot Meets. I'm sure we'll be back again in the future. Contact us on social media at Passing Shot Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can email the show as well, Passing Shot Pod at gmail.com if you're listening to us on apple or spotify or wherever you're listening to us make sure you hit that subscribe button and if you are listening to us on apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and a comment if you are enjoying the show but for now thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>